3: You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show.
4: Hi, everybody. I am Brian. In for Kelly once again. Here's what's ahead. It's been a big week for semiconductor stocks. And there is one name in the group that may not be getting all the attention from Wall Street, but it is getting lots of love from our market guest. he will name it and tell us why. Could we be in for a spring selling season surprise? Yes, says real estate broker and TV star Ryan Serhant. He is here with the trends he is seeing. Plus, a special three buys and a bail Super Bowl style. We are talking streaming, snacking, and of course, boozing. As we are counting down to the big game, all that's ahead. But as always... Let us begin with today's
5: markets, Dominic Chu, and how we're looking. Dom, we got a record high in the S&P 500. Stop me if you've heard this before, Brian, but we're currently sitting at the S&P at 5,018, 5,018, up 20 handles, or roughly one half of 1%, and at least I get to draw a little star over here as well, because again, record highs for the S&P 500. The Dow Industrial is down about one quarter of 1%, about 79 points to 38,643, and the Nasdaq Composite. Really, that tech trade continues to just motor and motor and motor. The Nasdaq composite currently at 15,971. That's up 178 points or north of 1% gains there. So, again, some massive moves there, mostly related to technology. Now, one other place we're keeping a close eye on is what's happening with Bitcoin, cryptocurrency in general, but Bitcoin specifically. Because at these levels, if we were to close here, it would be just about a record high on a closing basis for Bitcoin prices that have seen a nice little. over the course of the last five to seven days. Now, you may recall that back on January 11th, we did get above 49,000 briefly for Bitcoin prices. So on an intraday basis, we're still a couple thousand dollars away from there, but still watch Bitcoin prices and some of the stocks that are tied to that Bitcoin ecosystem. And I mentioned that outperformance in the tech trade, a slew of the big name tech companies that are out there are making some record highs today, including Microsoft, for one but also check out the one-year charts on Nvidia applied materials and the SMH which is the Vanek vectors semiconductor ETF every one of those stocks has been up pretty decently over the course of the last year of course Nvidia is a huge part of that story but each of these gets a star as well because applied materials Nvidia and that Vanek vector semi ETF, All made record highs today. Just look at those performances over the last year. The blue line really stands out, Bry. I know you got a lot more on that coming up later on this show.
4: You just inadvertently made the Chicago flag, by the way, with the colors and the stars. And then the
5: the three stars. I I needed them to be red, right at some point, kind of in there.
4: Chicago's amazing. We love. My wife's from Chicago. We love Chicago. Yeah, we We love love Chicago, not in the winter, but we love Chicago. Dom Chu, thank you very much. All right, despite the big gains in the semiconductor trade already, your next guest says he is still finding some value in certain parts of the market and maybe one chip name joining us now is David Bonson. He is chief investment officer of the aptly named Bonson Group. David, good to have you on The Exchange. I am Brian. I am not Kelly. Uh, Texas Instruments, it does not get a lot of love. It's been around forever, just kind of sits there outside of Dallas and does its thing. Why are you interested in this name?
6: That's the exact reason why. We love names that are not uh, fully understood, that people are not paying attention to. It has a market-level beta. It isn't way above market beta, like most of these names might be. It's trading at 22 times earnings, not 60 times earnings. And it's, uh, most importantly, a big dividend grower. That's what we do. Uh, We run over $5 billion, and dividend growth is our key strategy. Texas Instruments is a heck of a dividend grower. And why are they able to do that? They can Continue to grow their free cash flow it's just a more attractive way to play some of that space.
4: Yeah, is there something specific about it? Is their business mix, David? Is it their valuation that's to your point? Is it kind of the fact that uh, as we both alluded to, they don't get a lot of attention or maybe D all the above?
6: It is D all the above. And I also think, too, the fact that it came back a little bit last year. It came in when we entered the name. It had come down about $20 a share. So we liked the fact that we had a more attractive entry point. But again, you have a 3.3% dividend yield in a space that has largely ignored dividends. And they're growing that dividend at 8% per year. And I think on a valuation basis, it's a a wonderful way to play the sector.
4: I saw... David Simon, who does not do a lot of interviews at all, the founder and CEO of Simon Property Group, on with Jim and Mad Money the other night. A fascinating interview, in part because despite all the talk about retail's woes, Simon Property Group is like 96% full. They tend to have very high-end malls, and now, of course, they've got this international expansion. Simon, even with all the the concern about retail and commercial real estate, David, is a name that you like?
6: Yeah, We've owned it for years and so this uh, Texas Instruments is a newer name. Simon Property have owned a long time. They're 96.4% occupied to be precise and new leases are averaging 7% rent growth over prior year. They are a phenomenally run company. They do own higher end malls, higher quality. And where there has been trouble, they have over and over again been able to create economic value by repurposing some of the brick and mortar, some of the real estate. They own great assets. I just think Simon Property was largely misunderstood. Here you're talking about now a 5.5% yield, but we're getting over 20% per year, cash on cash from when we first entered the name because of their ongoing dividend growth. And they are basically a balance sheet play. They have a wonderful balance sheet of assets with debt that is under 50% of a ratio.
4: Wow. Yeah, just truly, it feels like SPG has just done something that, that a lot of others certainly have not been able to do. Do you have a macro view on the markets? We're sitting at over 5,000. We're at record highs. You heard Dom Chu walk through all the numbers. Nobody seems to care about valuations. It's just about, you know, buy at the highs and keep riding it. Do you think this momentum can continue, David?
6: Well, the answer is yes, it can. And I also believe no, it won't. And so uh, we don't really uh, believe that people should ignore valuation. And I grew up as a professional investor in the 90s, and we learned what happened out of big tech. The amount of similarities from that dot-com moment right now are frightening to me. 72% of companies in the S&P last year underperformed the S&P, highest in history. You have a couple of names in the Magnificent Seven that their market cap is bigger than all of Japan and Britain and Canada put together. Okay, some of these names are phenomenal. They're better cash flowers than those names in the late 90s were. But at the end of the day, it's a valuation story. But you say, can it continue? Sure. I'm not timing this. I'm not telling people next month these things are coming down. But I don't want to buy NVIDIA at 70 times earnings. I don't want to buy Amazon at 55 times earnings when I think there are other value-oriented names that can do better. And for as good as 2023 was for the index and for big tech, MAG7, et cetera, they're basically broken even over two years. You have one really bad year, one really good year, and it's about flat. That, that, is, that, is, that is such is a not critical a
4: that is an amazing point you're making, David, because I was I just posted something about I was bullish on Japan. Nobody cares what I think. Two years ago it turned out to be not bad. And I look back and I was trying to compare the S&P to the, the Nikkei in Japan. And the S&P is only up four percent since December of 2021. I mean, it's been a heck of a run the last year and a half or year or so. But to your point, we fell. And we're. if you just bought the S&P 500, With inflation, you're actually flat to probably slightly negative.
6: That's right. And the S&P wasn't even up at the end of 23 from its high of uh, late 21. It's only up a few percent now just because of the first month or so of this year. And And so that's fine. But I just think this is a historical pattern. That you have a huge bull market, you have a correction, and then you have years of a flat market, a consolidation. That's generally a very good time to be in the dividend names, to be in more value-oriented names. I'm not recommending people get out of the market altogether. There are positions, places to be. But there was a free ride for 12 years, Brian, for index investors, with the Fed at Zerp, with QE, and with really kind of reflating the economy post-financial crisis. That bull market is totally over. Right now, what's the news story? Well, maybe AI is going to continue and 70 uh, times earnings we can grow into. But that's not going to be every name. There's going to be a lot of names that end up in a graveyard. And to me, I'd rather be more fundamentally oriented. A name like Simon Property is sort of removed from all this. It's It's got a totally mm-hmm. different story, and we think it has repeatable cash flows that investors are going to like a great deal.
4: SPG TXN and uh, a little bit of good uh, historical context and maybe kind of a warning about the market. David Bonson with the Bonson Group. We appreciate it, David. Have a great day and a good weekend. Thanks, Brian. All right. Meantime, shares of New York Community Bank Corp down more than 20% this week after reporting commercial real estate charge offs that scared a lot of investors. Now, the stock is getting a bit of a boost today. Some of the directors and executives buying shares. A lot of insider buying this week. The KRE regional bank ETF still negative on the week. But your next guest says the concerns surrounding NYCB are more about the bank itself and less about regional banks or commercial real estate in general. Joining us now is Ron Camden. He is the Morgan Stanley head of U.S. REITs and commercial real estate research. Uh, Ron, you make a great point looking at some of your notes, which is that and this is a little bit wonky, but it's important. Once New York Community Bank Corp. bought some of Signature Bank's assets, it catapulted them over $100 billion in assets, which changed the way they are scrutinized by regulators. How big of a deal is that part of the story?
7: Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I was just catching up with our mid banks analysts, and I think you're spot on that the event that happened in NYCB is idiosyncratic because it's very unique for that bank to move from a different regulatory bucket into a higher category four bucket where there's more sort of provisioning and and regulation involved. So we think that's actually what drove, what catalyzed the provision surprises that you saw. And we do not expect that uh, to translate into some of the other sort of regional banks in the sector.
4: Yeah. So I guess I'll flip it and kind of, I'll ask you to speculate, Ron, you can dodge if you'd like, but if, if they had not, if NYCB had not bought those assets, if they were still below a 100 billion in assets and scrutinized and sort of examined and regulated as that classification, not class four, do you think we would have seen the magnitude of the decline in the stock?
7: Yeah, it's a really good question. So When you think about commercial real estate usually these loss realizations happen over time right over a two or three or four year period and the two things that we have to remember this cycle is that number one commercial real estate is a 13 trillion asset class but only about a quarter of it is office right and number two most of the biggest lending that happens on commercial real estate does happen in the smallest banks in the us they do about 27 percent of the lending so to answer your question directly, I think that provision process could have taken a longer period to play out. But make no mistake, we do sort of still expect commercial real estate values and office specifically to continue to decline this cycle. So we would fully expect the banks to continue increasing those reserves and increasing those provisions over time.
4: Is NYCB with the massive sell off a good deal? Is it is it a buy here?
7: Yeah, it's a good question. I I don't cover it personally, so I can't comment on it. What I will say is that um, these commercial real estate issues is not something that's going away overnight. The price discovery process does take 12, 24 months to play out, Uh, so I wouldn't be rushing into anything whenever I'm dealing with commercial real estate.
4: So you think there still may be time in the sector, because you're the REIT guy, that that in the sector may, may still have some cleansing, because Ron, when I look at the numbers, And I know a lot of people predicted commercial real estate doom last year. It did not happen. Some good properties were able to get refinanced. They can just keep pushing, pushing, pushing. At some point that comes to a head, and there's big numbers coming up through 2025, do we see another
7: leg down overall? Yeah. Um, So you you make a really good point, Brian, because when you think about what's the catalyst to drive a lot of these commercial real estate market, you have to think about commercial real estate maturities. So there's about $660 billion worth of debt coming due in 2024. 20% of that is office, and 40% of that is multifamily. So when we're investing in the commercial real estate market, we've told investors the office sector is where you have the most secular headwinds, and that's where you're likely to see the biggest downside surprise. So that's a sector you want to sort of avoid. But there's other aspects of the commercial real estate market, being industrial, being retail being senior housing, where there's still sort of opportunities for investors to buy really good quality companies with good sort of earnings growth. So it's, re- it's important to just remember that there's a diversification to the commercial real estate market. And this cycle, the risk is acute to one sector.
4: Yeah. And I feel like there is definitely more to come, but a, a great analysis on NYCB because that has been a big story. Ron Camdem of Morgan Stanley. Ron, have a great weekend. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. All right. Coming up, speaking of real estate, we're going to get a real estate reality check with the star of Million Dollar Listing New York, Ryan Serhan. He has got a new show coming out on Netflix. He just wrote a book, and he's going to break down some of the trends he sees right now in housing. Plus, a special big game edition of three buys and a bail featuring streaming, snacking, and spirits. The Exchange, back after this.
2: This is The Exchange on
8: CNBC.
4: All right, welcome back. As we approach the spring selling season, also known as spring, the housing market still faces a host of challenges. Home buyers still facing higher mortgage rates than a couple years ago, and there really are just very few good homes or condos out there for sales. People just sit and don't move. So let's figure out what's going to happen, not what has happened, and get some insight from one of the most powerful power brokers in America on what he is seeing on the ground. Ryan Serhant is founder, CEO, and broker at a firm named Sirhan. Amazing how that works out. He's also out with a new book this week called "Brand It." Like Sirhan, Ryan, it's good to chat with you again. There you go. You got the Netflix show. It's just firing on all cylinders. But is the real estate market going to fire on all cylinders in 2024?
1: So far, this has been one of the busiest starts of a year to my entire career. I mean, new listings nationally are up just under 7% year over year. Doesn't sound like a lot, but compared to 2023, feels great. Prices are up about 5%, right? Rates are still keeping inventory down, but sellers are feeling less locked in than they have over the past 24 months, even though 90% of all home loans in the United States are at or roughly under five percent. People feel a bit unlocked. That's my word of the year so far. Is unlocked. This year is going to be unlocked, and it's so far uh, uh, moving pretty quickly. Now
4: let's be clear: Patrick Mahomes is having a pretty good year in football. He's going to play on Sunday with Brock Purdy. You're the sort of the Mahomes of real estate. Can you, you know? No. You're at, you're at, you're at the top. You're at the top, and so I I, I wonder: Can can Ryan Serhant's experience in 2024? be sort of explanatory for the, for the rest of the country, right? I mean, for the, for the broker in Ohio, what what message would you send to him or her? Because they've probably had a pretty rough run the last couple of years.
1: I'm not so sure about that. I think inventory is low, sure. Nothing to so sell. So I think deal... Yeah, but a deal volume is lower. But I mean, in Ohio, where I hope to open a surhant soon, um, uh, that deal time on market is still incredibly fast. I mean, nationally, most homes are still sitting on the market for less than two weeks. I mean, that's that's very, very fast. Yes, there's a lot of luxury movement in the luxury markets we're in. I'm talking to you right now from our headquarters in Soho, and the average time on market is still just under six months, and the prices are higher, right? The luxury market's been moving really, really quickly. There's been multiple, you know, eight-, mm-hmm. nine-figure deals between here and our South Florida markets, but the national housing market, I think, is starting to really come back to life, I think, as rates slowly start to stabilize or tick down, according to the Fed announcements. I think we'll see a lot more life. People have to move on. You can't sit there and complain all day long. And if we look at history, markets go down, markets go right back up.
4: If interest rates go down, and they might, because mm-hmm. to your point, the Fed has sort of forecasted it may target, you know, cut a, cut a couple times this year. Will prices also go down nationally with it?
1: No. No, they'll, they'll do the opposite. Prices will will go up. I'm, I'm seeing it from you know we're uh, Sir Hansen eight states right now. We just expanded into Georgia last week, and we've started to move west. And from all of the sellers we're speaking to, they see price increasing as rates stabilize and decrease. They say, "Ah, this is what we've been waiting for." I I thought I was going to sell my home for less money last year, but now I can wait. And so, what we say to all buyers is. You can wait for lower rates too, but so is the seller. And you have to understand the math, right? You don't live in the purchase price, you live in the monthly payments. The headline rate right now is just under 7%. And so people will say, well, I'm going to wait till it gets to six and a half. For every $100,000 borrowed, that 0.5% swing is $33 a month. And so you have people making life decisions over. $33 a month for every $100,000 borrowed, people need to look at the entire picture. What is the outcome you're trying to get to? What is that total monthly payment that you're going to live in? There are still great Options out there, um, and I think it's an exciting time. Twenty twenty four is turning out to be what I think might be one of the most robust real estate markets that I've, I've ever seen. What's blowing my mind, and this is
4: a, again, we're you know, you're in Soho, I live in New Jersey. We, we're lucky; we, we live in nice areas, They're, you know, and, and we're blessed to be in the positions that we are. A buddy of mine lives outside of New York in in a town, you know, basically an exurb of New York City, financial place. Sure. He sold his house last year. He wanted to list it for 1.6. That's kind of what was in his mind. He'd owned it forever. The real estate agent said do it at 1.75. He thought that was high. House sold for 1.973 in two days all cash. What's blowing my mind is that about half the deals that we have seen in parts of New Jersey are all cash. So they don't even care
1: about interest rates. True, there's a significant amount of cash that's sitting on the sidelines. I think we can thank our government for creating so much of it over the past Yay. couple of years. And that's definitely that's definitely uh, uh, helped certain industries, um, has hurt a lot of people in other ways. And that's not for me to talk about. But what I'll say is, you know, pre-COVID, we were doing maybe 20% of our transactions that were all cash. If we really looked at total volume across all price points, today, it's well over 50%. In our wow. luxury markets, it's 70% of all transactions that are being done in cash. But then what happened? is they're doing technical refis. Right. The minute they close, because it makes sense to keep that amount of cash locked up in a hard asset. That way they can put it to work. Right. They can put it into the markets. Markets are moving pretty quickly. Bitcoin's back up. You know, people like to make money. And so we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens in November. We'll see where we go from here. We want people to buy your book. So you brand it
4: like Sirhan. Oh, right. So, yeah, you forgot about your own book. We got to get the book. We want to get the book in.
1: All right. It's right. here. Yeah.
4: You got a book. Show us the book. I'm sure you have it. Some of you wrote it anyway. So brand it like Sirhan. We want people to buy it, so we don't want to give too much away. But give us one message, one lesson in there that our audience watching and listening can take away.
1: The U.S. Bureau of Labor states that by 2027, 50% of the U.S. economy is going to consider themselves in some way, shape or form part of the gig economy, meaning they're going to be selling something. So, maybe they're still taking their W 2, but they're selling something on the weekends. They're selling something at night. Maybe it's real estate, maybe it's software, maybe it's insurance, maybe it's t shirts. To do that, how do you learn how to actually make an income? Right? My first book, Sell it Like Sir Hand, taught everybody how to, how to sell. And this teaches everybody how to build that brand awareness for either yourself as, as a trader at a bank yourself as a real estate agent, yourself as a car salesperson, doing a side hustle to create that awareness so that you can generate more leads and make more money. I think building a brand is the skill set of the new economy. I could not find another book that taught me how to build a PR strategy, a TikTok strategy, and understand a core identity and tie it all together. And so I wrote it, and now it's out. And it's the greatest book that's ever been written in the history of the world. Like, Better Than The Odyssey? I read The Odyssey and it was really long and it took me a long time when I was a little kid. I think it rivals The Odyssey. Rivals. Rivals The Odyssey. In I, scope don't, I don't and know magnitude. how many solopreneurs that are 18 years old that are reading The Odyssey right now, but brand it like Sir It's out now. Um, uh, it's really the branding bible for anybody that wants to build a personal brand or a product brand. Um, and it's incredibly, incredibly tactical and and goes through my entire company's building over the past couple of years, all the mistakes that I've ever made. We interview a lot of great people from Gary Vaynerchuk to Kenneth Cole ah! to Rebecca Minkoff. Amazing people.
4: It's amazing. You just threw out Gary Vee because Gary V, I'm just filling in on this Kelly show. I have a show at 7 p.m. Gary Vee is going to be on last call. My 7 p.m. show tonight. Had no idea you're going to throw that out there.
1: Just works like that. He's got great, great quotes in the book. Um, Fantastic. Uh, he's a branding maestro. Better than the Odyssey, Gary V. I,
4: I appreciate it. Ryan Serhant, thank you. Good stuff. Good luck with the book. Thanks, man. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. All right, not quite as good as Crime and Punishment, but that didn't have a happy ending. Coming up, our mystery chart of the day. Having its worst day in over a year after an earnings miss. There's your chart. Tweet us at the show or at CNBC. Take your guesses. We'll reveal it later on in the show we're back right after
8: this canva presents unexplained appearances it was an ordinary workday until
7: that presentation appeared out of thin air
8: also it's eerily on brand
7: wait did that agenda just write itself
8: words appear making this unexplainable case
7: unexplainable it's canvas ai tools I can generate slides and
1: words in seconds.
8: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
1: Canva.com, designed for work.
2: Good day and welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson with your CNBC News update. The European Commission will reportedly open an investigation into TikTok. That is according to Bloomberg. The probe would launch under the new Digital Services Act over concerns the company hasn't made enough changes under the law's mandate to protect underage users. America's three biggest banks collected 25% less in overdraft fees last year as they face pressure from regulators to reduce those charges. That is according to regulatory filings. JPMorgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of America reported a combined $2.2 billion in overdraft fees in 2023, roughly $700 million less than in the previous year. And an update on a story we first brought you yesterday. The Frenchman who built this 23-foot model of the Eiffel Tower out of matchsticks Originally denied the world record by Guinness because he used the wrong kind of matches. Well, Guinness has reversed course and today said it considers the record valid and within the world. Bravo, Latour Eiffel. Brian? That's
4: an important update.
2: We talked about it yesterday. I'm glad you could bring it
4: back to us today. Um, I wanted to
2: close the loop on it there.
4: I feel so much better. I I didn't know how I was going to sleep tonight.
2: You could call it parry match, couldn't you? Oh, oh, oh. oh
4: man, you, you know what? You gotta strike. Deep into the man. You gotta there, strike while well, the iron's hot yeah, or the yes. match. Yeah. There we go. See you. Tyler man. Matheson, thank you. All right, coming up. Chiefs and 49ers players are speaking out on business. And they're talking Elon Musk, artificial intelligence, and yeah, even the Federal Reserve. Contessa Brewer is live in Las Vegas, talking about the Federal Reserve, Contessa.
0: Uh, That's right, Brian. And boy, this was a fierce battle head to head. I got the Super Bowl teams to tackle tough questions. And look, Wall Street might want to listen up. The Exchange is back right after this.
4: Here's some breaking news. We're two days away from the Super Bowl. And between the brands, the booze, and the bets, it is no exaggeration to say there are literally billions of dollars at stake here. Lives are on the line. We've got full team coverage. Julia Borst is the advertising angle. Gina Sanchez is the trade on three names, to buy and one to bail on. And Contessa Brewer is live in Las Vegas with the business talk of the town. But, Julia, let's start with the ad side and just how big it really could be.
9: Well, Brian, despite the rise of streaming and cord cutting, the NFL is as big as ever for TV advertisers. Around 70 30-second spots sold for an average of $7 million. That is in line with last year's record costs for Super Bowl ads. It's also up 75% from the cost of a Super Bowl ad a decade ago. Group M telling us that 20% more of their clients were interested in Super Bowl ads this year after last year's record 115 million viewers for the game. Now this year we expect advertisers to avoid controversy. Celebrities from Lionel Messi to Serena Williams will again be front and center after last year 40% of commercials featured multiple celebrities. Expect more ads, including from Elf Cosmetics, targeting female viewers that Taylor Swift has brought to the game. We'll also see a jump in candy brands, at least six, which is a record. But not all Super Bowl ads are going to be on television. Streaming-only ads on Paramount Plus cost $1 million for 30 seconds, drawing Ally Financial, Dannon, and Stokey Cold Brew, among others. Now, Ally saying, quote, more and more of our target audiences, millennials, and Gen Z are migrating to streaming each year. We're being smart with our own money by more effectively engaging our target consumers. Now, this follows the NFL streaming a record number of games this season, a trend we are examining in a new documentary launching today on CNBC.com looking at the NFL's digital transformation, the risks it's taken to boost its viewership. Brian?
4: There's an anchor on this network called Kelly Evans, and she's usually sitting right here, as a matter of fact. She tweeted out something today, Julia, about how if every pro- like a bunch of products that they followed the ad inflation rates, like a chicken wing would be like $60 and a pizza would be like $150 because there's just no end to demand for Super Bowl TV ads. People are paying a ton.
9: That's right. I mean, and it makes sense that there would be more ad inflation in Super Bowl TV ads than in chicken wings, because overall, you've seen that overall TV ratings have declined, but ratings for sporting events and specifically for the NFL and the Super Bowl have gone through the roof. This is what we're examining in the documentary. You've got to check it out, Brian. We talk to folks from the NFL, from Amazon about their big deal, about Uh Peacock. They had record ratings for their streaming games. So the idea is the NFL is trying to go to where their viewers are and where consumers are but there are some big risks they've taken some frustrated fans and then a whole new audience that has found the game through some of these big deals
4: so you're saying you have a documentary out on where do i find it
9: i do cnbc.com you could also find it on youtube do i
4: need to put in the http colon backslash backslash
9: uh, no, I think you could just go to, uh, to slash game hyphen plan. I'm You're going to find it. I I'm know you'll mood. find it. Just I, Google it, bro. I'm
4: going to Bing it. I, I'm in a mood. I've been on TV 14 hours a day every day this week. Julie Borston, thank you. Appreciate it. All right, it's colon slash slash. Speaking of the Super Bowl, streaming, beer, snacks, pizza, they're all essential, of course, ahead of the big game and even during the big game. And your next guest is here with three names that you should buy and the name to avoid. Joining us now. Three buys, Annabelle, Gina Sanchez, Lido Advisors, chief market strategist, CNBC contributor. And somebody said to deal with my terrible sense of humor for about 15 years now, Gina. It's good to see you. First Buy. Good to see you. First Buy is a name that is close by, literally, to your home in L.A.
3: Yep, right over in Burbank. It is Disney. Um, And quite frankly, streaming generally is a great buy. And Disney... Uh, obviously, if this is more attractive on a valuation basis, but for a reason. They've had a lot of struggles with their attempt to, for at a succession plan that did not go well, pandemic, et cetera. But you're starting to see Disney earnings really start to stabilize. They're narrowing their losses in streaming. And they just announced a massive deal, um, uh, a joint venture with Fox and Warner Brothers, to offer the ultimate cord-cutting sports package. And most people who subscribe right now to cable television are mostly just subscribing for sports at this point. Mm-hmm. I think Julia's ad commentary absolutely supports that. Um, and so if you look at the you know potential and also the $1.5 billion investment into Epic Games uh, to bring their IP content into the gaming space, I think these are big announcements, and they're not priced into Disney stock yet.
4: All right. you got, You got two more buys. I'm going to do something. I'm just going to break trend. Why not? And combine them. Because I I think that Constellation brands, the biggest spirits and booze producer out there, and Pepsi, obviously soft drinks, some people don't drink, it's fine, and snacks kind of go together. I feel like this is a food and drink play.
3: Yes, it's absolutely a food and drink play. And ultimately, you know, what we were looking for was we were looking for good growth, healthy balance sheets um, and good valuation. So you look, for example, at Constellation Brands, you know, they still they have a 30 percent profit margin. Um, you look at Pepsi, I think Pepsi is, is largely was written off because they thought everybody was suddenly going to change their dietary trends. And all of these diet drugs were going to uh, make people not eat, you know, snack food. Well, guess what? Junk food is still a big business, and quite frankly, Pepsi has a very, very broad uh, category of foods and snacks, including Aquafina water, uh, Sabra, uh, you know, Sabra hummus, which is a great way to sneak in vegetables, Quaker oats, healthiest stuff on the market. You know, so you know, the, the growth expectations and margins yeah. also for both of these names are really strong.
4: But yet yet your bail is also a food play. You know, A lot of people are going to be just buying up tons of pizza. They may buy the pizza— you say don't buy the stock of Papa John's.
3: That's right. You know, Domino's has become the really, really big behemoth uh, in in pizza. You know, Papa John's, on the other hand, this is a mid-cap play. This is one where expectations for growth next year are not that great and their margins are really, really tight. And so, you know, we're looking for a little more breathing room um, than that in the pizza play.
4: Yeah. And I mean, BTIG does see it as kind of a turnaround story, but You know, down 4% year to date. To your point, it sounds like just pardon the pun, DPZ is going to eat Papa John's lunch.
3: Uh, Absolutely. This is feeling like a value trap.
4: Okay. Gina Sanchez, three buys and a bail. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Gina, thank you. All right. Now, let's get to where the Super Bowl actually is taking place. Wherever, by the way, wherever Contessa Brewer goes is automatically the Super Bowl. Doesn't matter what sport it is, what event it is, it automatically elevates. To that look. Contessa, would you agree with that? Wherever you go, it is the Super Bowl.
0: Flattery gets you everywhere, Brian, everywhere, at least with television talent. You know, look, here was the great thing. I got a chance to sit down with all these players and ask them some really tough questions. I asked Niners QB Brock Purdy whether being underestimated as a long shot was actually an advantage. His short answer yes. I asked Chiefs coach Andy Reid about the serious warnings about gambling to his players and to his staff. And then I really got down to business. What's your expectation of a Fed rate cut this year? What was that? I think they're doing a
2: soft landing.
0: Timing wise?
2: Timing wise, probably end of the month or early Q2.
6: I hope it happens, honestly. I bought my home last year, so I'm kind
2: of I missed the train on that. I think towards the later part of this year, maybe Q4, uh, we'll see a rate cut. Obviously, uh, Jerome Powell has continually fought against that, but I think he's just trying to signal the market not to get too hot. Crypto still has a part for sure. Um, it definitely has slowed down.
9: I was never with crypto and uh, just still learning about AI. I'm into I'm into more crypto. Yeah. I'm personally
2: not a fan of crypto. I feel like it's too volatile for my uh, portfolio as far as ai and crypto i made a couple grand off of nfts but then i realized that they were like kind of scammy so i stopped doing that technology is crazy like
3: i wouldn't be surprised if i have a clone sitting next to me in the next couple years
6: you invest in the s p all those 500 companies plenty of them are investing in ai so you cover your ai
0: basis you don't got to be too risky elon musk as a leader yes or no
2: I think he has shown the ability to build up companies, obviously, um, he's a little eccentric, and so I could see as a shareholder how he w- would scare you, but I mean he's a, a genius. Yes and no, I feel like, I feel like he's, he created the entire company, his ideas are the reason the company exists, um, but, but at the same time, now I feel like he's, he's ready to move on from it.
0: Which do you think has brought more fans to NFL, gambling or Taylor Swift?
2: Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, no doubt. (laughs) Taylor Swift. Um, I think it is sports gambling.
0: Taylor Swift or sports gambling across the nation?
2: I don't know, but that's a
10: deadly combination.
0: (laughs) Speaking of Taylor Swift, FanDuel CEO Amy Howe told me on Squawk Box this morning that bets on Travis Kelsey have doubled and that, of course, then they're seeing more women gambling on the platform as well. And Caesars told us that so many bets... More bets have come in on, in on Travis Kelsey to get a touchdown, Brian, than all of the San Francisco 49ers' money line and spread combined.
4: Well, that's good. Listen, I, I wonder, and I should probably check my account. If you can bet, I'm sure somebody would take a bet. Maybe it's on these apps on how many times they're going to show Taylor Swift, you know, on the television feed. It'll be definitely be the beginning of the game. Anytime not, Kelsey not catches in a the pass, United States. he
0: scores not in the United States and not on regulated sports books. You will find that in other countries, in an offshore I- illegal sites. But listen, the gambling industry is really serious about this. They said all this talk about, you know, is, is, uh, is Taylor Swift going to get a ring? Those bets are being made on platforms that are not regulated in the United States. Like a States.
4: Super Bowl ring or like a spend the rest of your life with me kind of ring?
0: I think, yes, I think show me the money kind of ring.
4: Yeah, I'll tell you what. If the chief, I think the Chiefs are going to win, and 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 when they win, and if they win, it's going to be like the Taylor Swift effect. If it couldn't get any bigger, is just going to get much bigger. Uh, and by the way, I understand it's like it's it's warmer here than in Phoenix right now. I understand it's like it's not hot there.
0: I, I you know what? I don't know if you can really tell behind me, but it's Mount Charleston. Has snow down to the 3,500 level. I mean, this is a view that we just don't usually get. I don't know, Jerry. Can you broaden it out a little bit? We don't usually get this in Las Vegas, where one, you need a coat, but also they're talking about should we go hiking in the snow? Should we, you know, like is it safe to go out there? The mountains are beautiful in the backdrop yeah. of Las Vegas, Brian. Yeah, Wait, I'm look, sure you'll Jerry's be right. At, I'm you sure, sure you'll be scaling
4: shot. the summit momentarily, Contessa.
0: Me and my winter boots.
4: 51 degrees in Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey right now. 47 degrees in Las Vegas. It's warmer in New Jersey than Vegas, uh, which would be good. You don't want it 100 degrees. Good stuff, Contessa. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, coming up. 90 days, 5,200 square miles, and $11 million. For this, it is a sonar image of the Pacific floor and what could be a key part in the hunt for Amelia Earhart, the story next. All right, got to give you a quick update on these markets because while the Dow is down a little bit, we are at record highs on the S&P 500. Remember, yesterday, we hit 5,000 for four seconds, right literally at the end of the trading day. I mean, a couple seconds before the close, then it adjusted Ended up below that, but the S&P 500 is up four-tenths of 1% to 5,020. The NASDAQ is up, and by the way, the 10-year yield is also up. So stocks and yields up at the same time, sometimes we we don't see that too often. All right, coming up, a nearly 90-year-old mystery may be one step closer to being solved. The leader of the team that may have found Amelia Earhart's airplane. Where does a former Air Force intelligence officer, private pilot, tech entrepreneur, attorney, commercial real estate investor usually end up apparently at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean? At least your next guest did, sort of. And he thinks he may have found Amelia Earhart's plane. Joining us now is chronic underachiever Tony Romeo, founder and CEO of Deep Sea Vision. Tony, I'm fascinated by this story. Thanks for coming on. Uh, It's been an 80-year search Theories abound from coconut crabs doing their thing to Howland Island. There's even a little rock there in her honor. What what is what have you and your team believe you have found?
10: Well, we always believe that she fell. uh, She landed very close to Howland Island. Uh, We we looked at all the evidence that we had. We didn't take anything away. We didn't add anything to the evidence. We looked at just what was out there. Um, And our conclusion, as well as many others that have studied the, um, uh, the story very carefully, was that she landed very close to Howland Island.
4: Basically, a navigational error, Um, they just screwed up, maybe forgot to reset. They had this thing, a calendar, which could, you know, basically it's how you navigated back then, probably just ran out of fuel and and had to ditch it in the water. Is that kind of summing up what you think?
10: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's it. So she flew, she took off on July 2nd. She flew into July 3rd, and just after midnight, um, she flew it back into July 2nd. She crossed the International Dateline. Her navigator, Fred Noonan, who was one of the best in the world, um, had he forgotten to change the calendars back a day on his, uh, for his celestial readings, uh, it would have thrown him off by uh, you know, a, a significant distance. Not, I mean, not,
4: not far, far, but enough that she would not have seen the island. So have you spotted something? That, I mean, because I would also imagine that, and just as a big fan of World War II history, actually reading a, a, a book now about the Japanese and, and World War II and air battles, has got to be a lot of downed World War II aircraft around that region. Uh, there
10: is a lot in the Pacific, just not in that area. The Pacific's huge, right? there. We've got, I mean, all the way from Japan, all the way down to Argentina. I mean, it covers a huge amount of area. Uh, the place that we were is in the Central Pacific, uh, Howland Island, which is about uh, which is right on the equator, uh, which was not the site of any known World War II battles. The Japanese did strafe the island, actually, um, immediately after, after Pearl Harbor. But there's no known shipwrecks. There's no known... Others, in fact, there's not even any flight paths or shipping lanes to the area. When we were out there, we rarely—I think we saw two boats in three months, and um, uh, we saw one or two planes flying over at way fifty thousand feet. But other than that, I mean, it's uh, it's a part of the world that really nobody goes to.
4: Oh, you went there? It's amazing. And and I and, and listen, let's let's we'd love to put some closure on this. And if and if she was able to just kind of. You know, bring the plane in gently, given the depth of the water, given the frigidity of the water, it would seem, Tony, and tell me yes or no, because you're the scientist, I'm not, that if you do find the plane, it should be in relatively intact condition, I would hope.
10: Yeah, that's right. She would have landed it as a soft she could. She would have turned the nose of the plane into the wind uh slow the plane up as much as she could to land it on the waves um and then um, there's been other a lock key like, exact same plane that have crashed land in the water that have remained intact we it was a strong aircraft uh we expected it um she likely you know unfortunately drowned in the plane or went down with it or got out and maybe survived a little bit in the water but it would have spiraled down to the seafloor. um and then it would just rest on the seafloor. and and there's been a lot of folks that said well wouldn't the pressure crush it well Sure, a pressure will crush something with air inside of it, but it had no once air. The, yeah, it was yeah, filled with once water. It's in, exactly.
4: So, how deep is it? And could you get it? If it, I mean, how, are you able to extract it? Sixteen thousand feet. We possibly wow. can.
10: There's been. Yeah, it's a, it's like a seven four seven on every square inch of your body. I think so. I think we'll be able to. You know, it depends on on the conditioning. Now, over time, the the rivets and things will probably have have softened and weakened. Um, the plane will probably not be in its you know same strong condition that it was. You know, on the day that she she disappeared, but um, yeah, we expect that it's uh, you know the aluminum will still be there. It's not going to disintegrate. It the temperature and the the water that I mean, at this depth is very stable. There's no currents. There's not going to be a lot of erosion and wind. I mean, it's just it's very stable, very cold water.
4: Uh, Amazing work, sixteen thousand feet. My gosh, I mean, over three miles down. That is just. uh, Tremendous. Good luck to your team, Tony. Keep us updated on this because I just find it fascinating and, and Godspeed. And hopefully you can solve it. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. That's And they are in the middle of, I mean, literally the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Amazing. All right, folks. That does it for The Exchange. I'll see you for last call, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific. And I have another great show for you, Gary on et cetera. The Power Lunch starts on the other side of this. Quick break.
3: You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
8: From their innovative practice facility...